Hello and welcome to episode two. Th- Let's try that again. You 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 know I D I D in the D in the town all day. I D I D in the D in the S E A. You know I D I D in the D in the town all day. I D I D in the D in the S E A. Hello and welcome to episode two eighty three of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host Kevin Pelton, and I'm Tristan Carcino, and we are coming to you from Renton, Washington, home of. The Super Bowl 48 champion, the Ricardo Lockett edition. <laughs> yes, it is. We're going back to that. Now that there's Seahawks wide receivers, it's so much easier. Oh, it's a great time for yeah. it. Bobby Ingram coming next. Yeah. Uh, hope everyone got a chance to listen to our Kraken season preview pod and Russell Wilson reaction pods. Obviously, we'll have some uh, some new takes on on those stories today. We're going to check in with our Kraken <laughs> correspondent. New takes. <laughs> we we were too positive on Geno Smith. Now the new take. We're going more negative. <laughs> yep. Uh, the new take we heard Pete Carroll's thoughts on fourth downs, and all of a sudden it's they're not they're losing we, out. Feminine. Yeah, the first ever the season the team's first ever two and fifteen season. We'll welcome in back our Kraken correspondent Randy Cote to there talk about the Kraken's inaugural game later in the pod. But now because we have so many toasts this week, let's get to this week's beer, and it's a big one in hashtag Fresh Hop season. It's a big one, the Fremont Koichi Canyon. Hello, IPA. The, or fresh hop ale, I guess. Uh, the Kyoichi Canyon Fresh Hop Ale is brewed from select organi- organic hops. I don't know why I can't pronounce things all of a sudden. Grown in the Koichi Canyon of the Yakima Valley, which are harvested and placed into our kettle within 24 hours, creating a unique once-a-year beer. We make Koichi Canyon Ale in partnership with hop-growing wizards from the Yakima Valley in an effort to expand the organic hop industry in Washington State because organic hops matter. A portion of all sales fund the Koichi Canyon con- Conservancy. Conservancy? I don't know how to pronounce that word at any point. You're not helping me out here. Conservancy? I've got some notes about saying organic hops matter personally, but that's okay. I don't think that's an okay thing to say. Sorry, Fremont. But we may not have edited that from whenever it was written pre pre 2020. <laughs> okay, so you said we had many toasts to get to this week. Let's get to some of those mini toasts, because it's not to your pronunciation of conservancy. Oh, dear. It's definitely not to that. That is for certain. All right, let's start off with two Seattle Sounders FC, who clinched a playoffs berth for the 13th consecutive season, which also is the number of seasons they've played in MLS. Incredible. On Saturday. Uh, just remain the most consistent franchise in MLS, in the Seattle sports, really just about anywhere. Seattle Sounders with 13 consecutive playoff appearances. And also to Oil Rain for following suit by clinching a playoff first on Sunday. Wow. Is this one of their first ever playoff berths? First ever as Oil Rain at the very least. It is their first as Oil Rain. I mean, there also there were no playoffs last year because they only played God, the Cubs. God, the hops are so fresh. <laughs> That's the idea, yeah. It's like eating a meal. Drink some of that and tell me it's not. It's like literally like having a cheeseburger. I don't know if I would say it's like having a cheeseburger, but it's it's quite delicious. Oh my god! Oh, try this. But oil, oil rain did make it in 2019 as Rain FC. So, I it, I don't acknowledge that. Which is the last NWSL regular season. All right, sticking on the soccer theme. Oh hello, UW men's soccer. Little did I know until the Sounders tweeted retweeted something about this. Off to the best start in Pac-12 history at 11 and 0, including four conference wins thus far. Wow! Little did we know that UW men's soccer was even playing games right now. <laughs> Look, UW. I've always said it. A men's soccer school. The I mean, I'm shocked that they were not on the normal rundown ahead of the Mariners. <laughs> 
but I guess it's congrats only a matter to UW Men's Soccer. Only a matter of time. Or right, congratulations to longtime Storm Guard Tanisha Wright, who was named head coach of the Atlanta Dream on Tuesday. Wright joins the Storm's Noel Quinn and Phoenix's Sandy Brondello is three of the league's 12 head coaches who played for Seattle during their careers. That's like, like 40% of the league. 25. 25. All right. Uh, Wright was hired by an Atlanta ownership group featuring yet another former Storm Guard, Renee Montgomery. So former Storm Guards, they're out there. Hopefully not a former Storm Guard. Wow. Congrats to Sue Bird on being honored by the Los Angeles Lakers with their Laces of Unity Award, which recognizes individuals in the sports community who have significantly contributed to the LGBTQIA plus community. All right, next up. Cheers to Métier Brewing, which was announced last week as the resident brewery at the Mariners' planned restaurant, brew pub, and event space in the former Pyramid Alehouse that we discussed last week. Métier, based in Woodenville, is Washington's first black-owned brewery. Plan is for 10 rotating taps of Métier beers, some of them brewed on site. That build-out is underway with a planned opening in late summer 2022. The Mariners, they're even good at this now? I know. What is going on? They got rid of Kevin Mather. I swear to God, Kevin Mather left and it was like... Uh... It was like a curse was removed from the Mariners. I mean, they've always almost made the playoffs every year since Kevin Mather has been gone. Wow. He, he came in, I think it was, obviously he was here for 2001 and that, that team. But there was a lot of losing under Kevin Mather's watch. Good God. Wow. Man, the Mariners are doing everything right right now. They've, but, got, they've got a good young team, right? They're developing players. I swear to God, Metier Brewing is going to be in the Pyramid Ale House. I just can cannot think of two diametrically different breweries that are going to exist, right? Pyramid being gone, which is sort of like the 90s-style behemoth, right? Became part of a larger brewery group. You know, it's something where they occupy this large space that they, they couldn't really carry on anymore. Most people are not drinking Pyramid beer at this point, right? It's an entry-level craft beer. And then you, you replace it with... Metier Brewing. <sighs> and bringing it from Woodenville, where it was very difficult to get. The, only, the one yes. time we had Metier on the pod, you'll recall, is when Pagliacci stocked them seasonally. So much easier to uh, try that out now God, that they're going to be I'm a little concerned inside. about how good the Mariners are doing things right now. <laughs> Makes you worried. Makes I'm you worried that I might be 10 years old again. Staying on this theme, our friend Lil Woody's announced that they're the uh, burger partner for Climate Pledge Arena, and you'll be able to find Lil Lil Woody's on the main concourse of the new arena. Lil Lil Woody's? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's a smaller Lil Woody's, a Lil Lil Woody's. Uh, Climate Pledge also announced last week that this will be the first inter-region location of Shaquille O'Neal's Big Chicken chain, which has locations in Glendale and Las Vegas, as well as two other ghost kitchens. Ghost kitchens? Yeah. Because it's October. <laughs> Boo. <laughs> That's what I have to say to that joke. <laughs> I literally do not know the term ghost kitchen. It's a situation. It's so this no, we haven't talked about the uh the fuku that's opening here. That is also a ghost kitchen. So a ghost kitchen is there's a kitchen, but there's no front of house. You can only order things via delivery, basically. Mm. So that's how fuku is coming here. This is like how like there's restaurants on like delivery apps, Uber Eats and stuff like that. And it's actually Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and somehow for some reason it shows up on the map is in South Park. The in E my, stands in for my... entertainment. Thanks. Thank you. There's a, there's a Chuck E. Cheese reference coming at some point during season two of Ted Lasso. So <laughs> look, look forward to that. Great. Great, sir. 
So Shaquille O'Neal's big ghost chicken is going to be moving in? Well, it won't be a ghost. They'll, they'll be a, <laughs> a, they will be selling things out of the arena. It won't be delivery only there. Uh, which came recommended to me. I considered going there when I was in Vegas for Summer League. Somebody recommended to you Shaquille O'Neal's Chicken Place. I think Zach Harper and Amin Al-Hassan may have both gone. I, I'm pretty sure Zach went. Do I trust their perspective on chicken? I, I mean, I don't know what their chicken credentials are. No, knowing Harper... Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it a maybe, but worth a try at some point in the arena after you've tried. It's like Lord it's like is. Vince Young Steakhouse, you know, pretty solid, <laughs> right? If there's a, a restaurant attached to an athlete, my skepticism is on on high. So I'm currently in addition. So it's to, threat level midnight with the skepticism about a, a restaurant attached to an athlete. I'm currently in addition to Ted Lasso watching through the Seattle season of Top Chef season Hello. twelve, and uh, and they're like King Griffey Jr.'s Steakhouse is actually pretty good. <laughs> they were like the Rain Man drink from oh my god what's the shot Oscars oh. Oscars Oscars they were like was... you know Oscars Cantina look the oh. Rain Man put together a pretty good spread the French dip at Oscars <laughs> legit missed that I don't I don't think I missed the Rain Man oh, may man. miss being young enough to stay out and consume consume Rain Man uh, but th- th- one of the competitors on the Seattle season of Top Chef. Is from the Elway's rest- Steakhouses or Elway's Restaurant Group. So I'm sure it's really, really great. Good so. stuff. Good stuff happening from the Elway Steakhouse. Probably about as good as the quarterbacks that are coming from well, the Denver Broncos and the John Elway tenure. I'm just saying, he wasn't one of the first people eliminated. He made it through the oh, inevitable. No, no, no. I'm sure he's he's a good chef. He just happens to have worked at the John Elway restaurants. But I mean, again, skepticism, very high. He made it through the inevitable canless episode. That was the most recent one I watched. There was a canless episode? Yeah. Oh, okay. So we will not have our search for Seattle's best fried chicken this week because we were unable to get cookies. So as we get into sports, it's time to talk about the Kraken. It's time to bring in Randy. On Tuesday night, the Seattle Kraken played their first ever game. The anticipation uh, was so real, but after a very long wait from learning the Climate Pledge Arena was going to be built, learning that this, the Seattle was awarded an expansion NHL franchise, learning that they were named the Kraken, all these steps along the way, the expansion draft. Finally, a game and a thrilling one at that. It ended in a loss 4-3 against the Vegas Golden Knights, but still an impressive performance, I think, for the Kraken against one of the best teams in the NHL by, uh, by all assessments there. Sort of extension half-cousins, I guess. If, uh, if you're a cousin, if you're coming in the same, they're like a half cousin. So to talk about it, we had to bring in cracking correspondent Randy Cote. What were the emotions last night watching this game, Randy? I wept openly once. <laughs> and I will tell you, it was not when the Kraken started playing the ice. If you watch the six minute long ESPN uh, NHL video that showed before the Tampa Bay game, I was emotional. <laughs> It was real. It was raw. It was narrated by Justin Bieber. Okay. Like it was, it was also a big night for hockey on ESPN returned to ESPN after 17 years. Correct. Uh, your colleagues very fired up over at ESPN about it and, and for good reason, but no, yeah, it was. So I, you know, basically blocked my calendar at work. I basically left work early to make sure that I could watch the full ESPN presentation starting at four o'clock with the pregame of the entire doubleheader. So starting with uh, Tampa Bay and Pittsburgh and the sort of like, that's when it sort of like, I think hit me in that like six minute video of them just like teeing up the season where you're just seeing 
Kraken players, you're seeing Jordan Everly and, and Philip Grubauer just in media day situations with other NHL superstars and just that beautiful S and all everything Seattle just woven in as if we've just always been um, in the NHL with that, you know, iconic theme music playing. It was a whole thing. And I was just like, I had to like stop and I was like, am I crying right now? I was, I was crying. And then it was good. I had a good, good three hours of the, the Tampa um, Pittsburgh game to just like get into hockey mode again. I'm just like, the speed and pace of regular season NHL hockey and then went right into the Kraken game. And it was unbelievable. I didn't, I didn't sit down probably for, you know, about halfway through the second period. Did you Um, stand all the way through the intermission? (laughs) Absolutely. I was pacing. So like when the game, the game started and they came out with such a pace of play and they were so aggressive and Jordan Everly had, had a shot wide open net on the right side and just shot too high. I thought we were going to, we had a couple, like I think two or three chances in the first minute of the game, we came out swinging and I was here for it at that point. Like I wasn't planning on standing and then I just could not sit down. And yeah, the intermission happened. I was just walking around the kitchen, eating dinner. Uh, You know, I couldn't, yeah, I, I, I I couldn't, it was, it was just a lot. Like I, you know, it's, it's a moment I've been waiting for since I was a kid Right. Like I've played hockey since I was a kid. I've always watched the NHL, had these surrogate teams to root for. You got to root for players. You got to, you know, a team really fucks up. You got to cut them loose and pick someone else. Like, no, we have a team. We have our own team from day one. Get to be a fan and, you know, the ups and downs. And I don't know. It was a tough first period as the score went. But I was in a very good mood after the first period, even though we were down three to nothing. I was just really happy. And maybe it was the euphoria of actually playing in the game, but I just loved the style of play we were playing. And and yeah, it was just, it was incredible. It was, it was like an out-of-body experience. I mean, we saw the Kraken in that first period, I think, execute everything that Allison Lucan talked about in the season preview we posted on Monday in terms of having an advantage in terms of total shots, uh, maybe not necessarily possession so much, but some successful forechecking. And then it just didn't translate at all in the scoreboard because Vegas was clinical in taking advantage of some of the transition opportunities they got. Oh, absolutely. And <clears throat> yeah, it was, I think it was Bastion number 14 who, when they, I think it was their second goal where it was just like, oh, you could see very clearly how everything broke down for Seattle in transition. And they were ready to take advantage of all of that. But it's one of those things where, I was not panicked at that point. It was, you know, it's our, you know, for, it's a big stage. You just finished the preseason five players, including like star players in COVID protocol up until about 30 minutes before game time, like not even knowing who you're going to play with. There was a lot of uncertainty. So the fact that we were able to, after the first intermission, sort of take a beat, gel, come together uh, and come out. It was, it was great. Twitter was obviously very lively um, during that first all night, but especially during the first intermission, I think my favorite narrative was that, you know, um, well, probably the best gift was the Tyra Banks. I was rooting for you um, was great. But also the, the general, you know, I've been a Mariners fan for 30 years. I am mentally and physically prepared to be let down by the Kraken. It's like people know, just like, just just stick with it. And here's the thing. Vegas is not a lottery team. They're They're projected by basically everyone to win the Pacific Division. And so even with all the sort of, you know, starting in the hole, down three goals, coming back, the game-winning goal being very questionable, it's like, no, going down to the wire and, like, hanging with Vegas, who, like, looked good, 
like I'm I'm excited. I'm I'm pretty wired for the season. Finished dead pretty much dead even in terms of shots in this game, although Seattle had 19 shots blocked, a ton of blocks by the Golden yes. Knights defense. Okay, so they're down three nothing. Then you finally get the first goal in franchise history from Ryan Donato. Everyone says answer to a trivia question. I was thinking about this. I can't name I think Freddie Montero might have had the first goal in Sounders history. That I think only that's happened correct. twelve years yeah. ago. I can't name who had like the first points in Sonic's history, the first touchdown in Seahawks history, the first hit in Mariners history. None of those. I don't think it actually is the answer to a trivia question. Maybe the trivia circuit just hasn't been strong for the last 40 years. I mean, maybe maybe it's a testament to how great the trivia landscape is now. But, you know, I don't know. I, that was getting I, I read a recap this morning and it was like the like fifth writer that was like instant trivia question answer. Ryan Donato. It's like this is played out, people. Um, no, that was a great, so I think, you know, folks know that the, the rec hockey team I play on is called the Trash Pandas, and we... The, the champion we, Trash Pandas. Uh, oh, I no, actually, I'm sorry, you, you didn't win the championship with the Trash Pandas. The Symmetra Cup was a different team, right? We are still technically, because the 2019-2020 season was canceled, um, uh, we are still technically the reigning champions from the 2019 um, rec hockey um, season, but either we way, we, technicality. yeah, exactly. We love a good technicality. But no, we, you know, we once worked with this, um, this coach, he actually was an assistant for the Thunderbirds. We, we all sort of pulled together and had him come out for uh, uh, a practice scrimmage with us. And we talked about goals, just trashy goals and how you position yourself in front of the net to clean up the garbage and score dirty, trashy goals. And Ryan Donato's goal, the first goal in Kraken history was a textbook, just trashy goal. Like he was just fighting in front of the net. He got his body positioning and just swept it in at the last second. It was beautiful. Um, and then right, the goal that came, I think it was- 69 like seconds. A, 69 <laughs> seconds later how can we forget Precisely. um right by um mccann they thought it was schwartz but then they they gave it to mccann eventually also just like sort of a trashy goal like god we're just gonna crash the net and put a lot of traffic in front of leonard and i don't know it was it was great I, i'm here for that kind of like play and aggressive style and it, you know all the pundits say you know this is the type of style that is separates regular season teams from playoff teams like this is how you would build a playoff team um, is with this sort of aggressive forechecking, like swarming style. Um, and so just interesting to see, like, if we can have success with it in the regular season, and obviously we are basing this on one eighty second. Uh, I don't know what that percentage comes to, but a very limited data set in one night of regular season play. But um, yeah, no, it was, it was great to see that historic first goal for sure. I, I jumped up and down. There was a lot of screen clapping i chugged the rest of my rum drink i was consuming it was fantastic the kraken rum right absolutely and then in the third period the kraken briefly managed to tie it through morgan geeky that was not a trashy goal that was a that was a that was that was a snipe that was a total laser from morgan geeky um former tri-city american wow uh morgan geeky there's shout out to question. the western hockey league there's your trivia <laughs> and that's a, that's the thing right i think one of the the big experiences it was like oh shit this is the first time this first regular season game where i have to like actively unlearn rooting for individual players and other teams like the knights were a team that i would root for in the past because they had two former seattle had they still do Shea Theodore and Keegan Colasar 
right, have become sort of these standards of the Golden Knights, young talent coming up. And um, I've watched them and rooted for them. But when Keegan Colasar was making Grubauer's life a living hell with these like shots from the high slot and Shea Theodore was like really, really on point in the power play. Like I was like, no, I have to un- I hate them now. We got to hate them. And we're all about Morgan Geeky. <laughs> Lifelong Morgan Geeky fans. Absolutely. In the end, the, the so then after that comes the disputed goal. I think this is Tristan where you want to weigh in. Oh, I, I want to hear Randy's perspective first uh, on the goal that ended up being the difference in the game uh, that Vegas scored off a boot, right? It was the, off a blade. Uh, off a blade. It was not hit, hit in with a stick. When to review, we might have seen some things. I'm curious your perspective first, Randy. All I have to say is I saw the darkness. I'm just kidding. It's too early to see the darkness. It's the first game. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I rescind. No, here's the thing. We saw the darkness at the end, though. But but specifically the play and the call. We saw there there was not a wind-up, I will say, but there was a follow-through. In real, in, real time, in, in real time, watching it at full speed, as someone who has seen a million reviews of kicks coming back, as someone who's very familiar with the term distinct kicking motion prior to last night, in full speed, I was like, that's coming back. There's no way that that's going to stand. Then especially in slow motion, you're like, oh yeah, no, this is this is totally coming back. I'm not even worried. Like I'd already just like, accepted it, moved on. We got a tie game. We got six minutes left. Like I was there mentally. And then they said it was good goal. And I went ballistic. Like there's, right. there's no way. And the thing I think it's important to learn is folks are like learning more about hockey. You can't right? you can't headbutt the puck in. You can't use your hand to pass it in. If it happens to like get hit off of your helmet or off of your body or off of your skate, whether the boot, blade, whatever, it's fine, right? If it's if it's incidental um, deflection, but if you are actively, if you try to bat it in with your hand or headbutt it in, it will get reviewed and get called back. Um, so yeah, it was, you know, I I guess the uh, the silver lining here. I'm an optimist. I'm a glass half full kind of guy. It did bond us immediately to the rest of the NHL and make it make us instantly accepted as a fan base because I, I really did appreciate the outpouring of support of like Seattle. The your initiation to the NHL has has been complete on night one because you got screwed by the refs on a very obvious call. So um, you know, being uh, connected to that sort of NHL fan brotherhood, the silver lining, but I much would have rather had the dub. Right? Is this a common thing to be screwed by the refs in the NHL? They go back to Toronto, which is hilarious because I feel like That's it's almost arb- arbitrary that you just choose the biggest city in the country that matters or whatever. It's <laughs> just like, yeah, we're going back. We're cross country, right? We're going well, all the way international. I mean, in the to NBA, Toronto. we go to Secaucus, New Jersey. Uh, I guess so I feel like Toronto is Secaucus. a better call than Secaucus. I thought, did they call it Secaucus? I thought they go, they went to New York. No. The, the, That's pretty hilarious. Play center is located across the river in Secaucus, New Jersey. But yeah, there's something kind of hilarious to me where it's like, it's hockey, so we're going to We're going to Toronto. They've got a little booth up at the top of the CN Tower where they're under the hood (laughs) looking at the thing. They went straight to Justin Bieber and Drake, both there together with (laughs) Joe Carter hitting the game-winning home run in the the season of record. But, but, it was a kick. Like, there there wasn't a windup, but there was clearly, clearly an extension 
right? His foot moved toward the goal. Exactly. Right? It wasn't that, an accident, if that that's is, the it, standard. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't, but I don't know if the standard has to be an accident, but it wasn't just a redirection because the, the, the leg was extended after, and that is a kick. And ultimately it costs, if you're, if you're ESPN, if you're the NHL, you want the Kraken to win this first game, right? This is the story that you're looking for, right? Who gives a shit about Las Vegas, right? It's been years since Las Vegas has been a team. How do you not bring that back and give the fans the finish that they're looking for in this game? And granted, I thought I thought the finish was phenomenal that we saw, keeping it with it being a one-score game at the very end, right? We get to see the whole magic, right? Pulling of, the goalie. Of the goalie being pulled, and that's the best part. The best part about hockey is that you get the 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 moment when like say soccer right when people are playing soccer all of a sudden just like let's fucking go people are trying to score here you're after it if it's a one score game maybe even a two score game you're getting that every single game and that's why hockey is exciting right there was a solid five minutes of thrilling hockey well that's happening that's why they instituted overtime like the lesser points for an overtime win right yeah but, right you yeah you want you want an exciting finish you want you want a regulation win right so and it was great yeah, when it was over i was like let's play more hockey right yeah. i was like yeah and that's the thing even tomorrow? right even the nightcap then my husband i always give him shit he's a proponent of like and we saw this exactly right before the cracking game the end of the lightning penguins game they were down three goals and they pulled the goalie with six minutes left which yeah. like the book tells you to do it like a minute 45 you know a minute and a half to two minutes somewhere in there and my husband's take is, listen, you're going to lose by three goals. So what's the point if you're going to lose by four? And guess what? Tampa scored with, it, with pulling the goalie with six minutes left. So, you know, it was thrilling to see. It was one of those things where it's like, obviously, in a real regular season in-game situation of pulling the goalie. It's like, obviously, that's what preseason's for. And we got a lot of situational um you know, exercises out of the way in preseason. But, you know, I, again, I'm pretty silver lining. We played really strong at the end. We took the, you know, expected division winner all the way to a one goal game, pulled the goalie, got to work through that situation. And we got a couple of good chances. I mean, there was, oh yeah, there, with like 15 seconds left, we had a really good look. Um, I think it was Everly passed from the right corner um, into a bunch of, you know, traffic. And I don't know, I thought it was going to go. So, yeah. No, with with that clock ticking down, it's it's thrilling stuff to watch, and I think that that's huge. I mean, for people who are becoming hockey fans, like the way that you're left after a game, it really leaves you wanting more hockey, which I think is really exciting. Yeah, and people are going to get more hockey. I mean, our next game is less than 24 hours away in Nashville. Yes, as you listen to this, potentially has already happened or is tonight <laughs> in Nashville on Thursday, Saturday at Columbus, Monday at Philadelphia, and then the first back-to-back in Kraken franchise history, Tuesday at New Jersey, not far from, from the Sakakis. Center Sakakis. <laughs> you can take the path train. Uh, well, so Ran- Randy, it's been one game out of 82. Which but- we should re- reemphasize four players were cleared to play like day of game from COVID protocols? Like hours before the game, right? Like it was, it was wild. Yeah. Plus no Yanni Gord who went on IR. So he's out for at least the first week of the regular season, but nearing a return. Yep. And it was, you know, even just looking at the roster, right. uh, We kind of had to do what we had to do because of the COVID protocol. And 
um, right, players getting assigned and, and called up from Charlotte. I it was it was really nice for me to see Alexander True, the former Seattle Thunderbird, um, was on the opening night roster for the Kraken. Even though you know today, the day after, he was immediately assigned to the AHL <laughs> Charlotte Checkers. But you know, I don't know. All in all, like I was I was happy with the way things came together with the roster. Even like Jamie Alexiak, like big you know defensive presence. He was on the COVID protocol list, and an hour before the game, people did not know if he was going to play or not. Right. So it was, I think, hopefully, you know, they have their morning skate in Vegas today. They traveled to Nashville today. It'll be interesting to see once they sort of settle, um, you know, not have to worry about those COVID protocols and play a team that is at or let's face it below their um, sort of power ranking in the Nashville Predators. Um, Thursday night, uh, the first game on Root Sports will be a really exciting time to see them again, sort of another quote-unquote average team in the NHL. So. Well, to ask the question for you, it's been one game. We understand the sample size is extraordinarily small. It's like 1.1%. What should we expect from the Kraken right now? Are, are they a possible playoff team? What what is What is the window for expectations after a single game? I think my my it sort of confirmed my expectations from before that first game, which is the Kraken will will make the playoffs in the first year. That was my read on the situation before um, the first game and seeing them come out the way they did with, you know, six preseason games as a team behind them, a, a culture building from scratch, all the COVID protocol shenanigans. It's like if they could pull out that performance against Vegas, um, it confirmed my expectations that they're going to get in there. Like the Pacific is a sort of notoriously weak um, division right now. Um, so in the West, right, I think the I'm assuming all the extra wild card spots are going to the Central. And so not, not a lot the, of ice in the Pacific. The, exactly. It's too, you know, it's it's too hot. You're at sea level. There's a lot of problems. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's I think that the top three teams coming out um, are basically going to be Vegas, and then probably either Edmonton or Vancouver, um, and then the Kraken probably taking up that last spot. So um, yeah, I'm I'm feeling pretty good. It, it 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 makes me feel like we have what it takes to to find our way into one of those playoff spots in year one. All right. Well, seems like we're gonna know a lot more by the time we talk next week as well. I mean, we'll have four times as many games in the in the Kraken's books by that point uh and and we plan to have Randy back next week because we also need to talk about fried chicken at some point if cookies is ever open and actually has voted fried chicken the cookies gods have shined upon me I had it last week as instructed as part of the semifinal search which baffled the good people of twitter.com who I rolled up being like, I'm here to get my chicken. And multiple people were like, yeah, if you even get it. And I was like, what? <laughs> you don't just walk up and get it. And then they handed me this big old bag of chicken. It was phenomenal. Ooh, I can't give away too much. It was, I had mixed reviews actually. Um, uh, all right. Yeah. Had heaven sent. And then, yeah, hoping to actually, um, out, I'm out here on the coast this week, hoping to hit up cookies again out in the tiny, weird Stepford Wives Truman Show town of Seabrook, where there, of all places, is a cookies food truck. So um, maybe we'll uh, extend the sample size cookies there, Cookies West. <laughs> cookies Coast. Coast. Cookies, Coast. cookies Pacific Division. There we go. <laughs> oh, there it is. All right. Thanks so much for joining us, as always, Randy. All right. Go Kraken. Thanks, as always, to Randy. Uh, excited to hear from him again. Excited to watch more hockey. It was fun. 
was legitimately excited. I mean, it's going to be tough for me to watch too much Kraken because uh, they go opposite NBA season. But uh, yeah, def- you know what? I uh, you're saying I should just give give up on the NBA? Yeah. Go that's, full go full time hockey. Exactly what I was going to say. You know this this NBA thing is not going to work out for you, right? You're getting I mean, older. It's time to give up the dream. <laughs> <laughs> Look, why don't, why don't you do the same thing that the uh, Climate Pledge Arena ownership group has done and give up the dream of basketball? Oh, I, uh, they would they would dispute that allegation strenuously. Well. Uh, M's hot takes have been retired for the season. We do have a quick update from the end-of-season press conferences from the organization. President of Baseball Operations Jerry DePoto said last week, quote, we do have payroll flexibility, and we're going to use it to make the team better. We are definitely committed to making this team better. That's exciting for us. There we go. Yeah, it's time to spend. Richie Sexton, it's coming (laughs) coming in. Sean Sean Figgins, it's coming. (laughs) Jeff Cirillo. (laughs) I also appreciated this from manager Scott Service. Quote, you can only go with fun differential oh my God. for so long. This is this is Scott's service to you right now. <laughs> Scott fan service. Scott fan No, actually not. I think Scott fan service would be like, you can go with fun differential forever. This is for the nerds, though. This this, this right here. Look, you, this you is have, for reality. It's you have two point. different takes here. Uh, uh, honestly, if we're, if we're being no, objective. No, that's his point, is that we're going to make the team better so we don't have to worry about fun differential next year because our run differential is actually as good as the fun differential was this year. If we're being objective, this is a very good thing that Scott Service recognizes yeah. that the team wasn't actually as good as their record was. Uh, Jerry DePoto's quote be damned. But right here, this is like straight up for the nerds. This is like every three days, all of a sudden, a new Brandon Staley quote drops on Twitter. <laughs> oh my God. And people just lose their goddamn minds about it. That's what Scott Service is doing right here. He's dropping the Brandon Staley bombs where he goes out there and says a thing that is factually correct that everybody on the internet knows. <laughs> But a head coach is saying it, therefore it seems like the most genius thing that is said. No, it's just that it's so amazing to hear a head coach actually say <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. Thing. All of us on the outside. Literally hundreds of thousands of people on Twitter know this thing. I, to don't, be a I fact. don't know that hundreds of thousands of people know it. Let no, me let me or just hold, NFL hold on. stats Twitter. Hold on. How many how many followers do you think Ben Baldwin has? I guess that's fair. I mean a lot of them are hate followers, but why did he not pop up? <laughs> Fourth down decision bot? <laughs> that actually has a lot of followers, too. Fortunately, he's 62,800 just, just followers. Let's say 800 of those are hate followers. That's probably very low. That is 62,000 people who knew, know everything that Brandon Stanley says to be true. But he, he has a press conference saying this thing, and we act like it is the most amazing thing that we have ever heard. He's like, you know, running backs... That you know, you don't want to invest too much in them, and people fall over themselves. <laughs> I'm just envisioning like analytics Twitter, like people fans at a Beatles there, concert in 1962 in the U.S. There's the one meme of people like losing their minds or whatever <laughs> that Ben does when there's like a running back carry for like two yards of the crowd just going crazy. It's like Brandon Brandon Stanley says something. <laughs> 
And he's he's like, you know, he's like, we have a team of analytics people who talk about fourth downs. Everybody loses their mind. Because <laughs> again, I, I don't blame them. It is in such opposition to the rest of the NFL head coaches. And then we get Pete Carroll quotes about the flow of the game. But again, Scott service throughout the season while the fun differential was happening. He's like, you know, we got fun differential. The season ends and he's he he's speaking to you, to the haters. He, he extended an oh. olive branch to the haters and says you can only win with fun differential for so long. A toast to the haters. Wow. You know what? The, hat- the haters, they got excited about baseball too. That's, so. that's fair. That's that the is thing. very fair. That's the thing about fun differential is the, hater, the haters are empty on the inside. <laughs> All right, Seattle Sounders, we mentioned earlier, clinched a playoff berth for the 13th consecutive season with a 4-1 win Saturday against Vancouver, have now scored 10 goals in the past three matches, including seven in the last two without Raul Ruiz Diaz, who was on international duty Saturday, along with both Rodans, Javier Arriaga, and Nuhu. In his stead, Sounders started quickly with an early Shane O'Neill header, doubled the lead through Nicola Benize, who celebrated with a little twerk afterwards. Oh, wow, like it was 2016. And uh, after a Vancouver goal late in the first half, Will Bruin provided insurance, and then Leo Chu offered the exclamation mark with his first Sounders goal in the final minutes. And I mentioned this on Twitter. I mean, the Sounders were, like, attempting the most audacious shots outside the box when they were up 3-1 in this game. I've never seen them play, like, so confidently and aggressively offensively. And they did this without the guy who's among the leading scorers in MLS. They're in a good place right now. Oh, they're cocky, is what they are. They're not just in a good place. But they're not cocky in a bad way. They're like, we know we're good. It's the peak top of the Pete Carroll pyramid, knowing you're going to win. We haven't referenced the Pete Carroll Pyramid on this podcast in a yeah, long time. Yeah, it really time. hasn't been a lot to reference. Oh, dear. What part of the Pete Carroll Pyramid is giving up 500 yards oh, to Kirk Cousins? Oh, no. <laughs> Sounders now, no, it was 500 yards to Ryan Tannehill, right? <laughs> Tannehill, well, that was more on the run game. Uh, Sounders now five points clear in the West standings with all teams in playoff position having played an identical 28 of 34 matches and a good chance to maintain or extend that lead Saturday when they travel to face a Houston Dynamo team that sits 12th of 13th. 13 in the West standings. It's pronounced Dynamo, but okay. I, is it? Well, on this podcast it is. Okay. <laughs> authentic, oh, because authentic pronunciations. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Let's go for it. Authentic pronunciations. That's <laughs> what we're known for. <laughs> on the Pelton cast. Uh, O.L. Rain in their return to NWSL action. Both the rain and the visiting Chicago Red Stars protested after six minutes elapsed by stopping play and linking arms. That minute symbolizing the number of years between the sexual abuse reported by then Portland Thorns players Sinead Farrelly and Manish Shim and the firing of former North Carolina Courage coach Paul Riley as discussed on last week's pod. That's something that all the NWSL teams did in their return to play after a stoppage. Uh... Chicago took an early lead through Mallory Pugh, but the uh, rain answered with a pair of Jess Fishlock goals, and Rose Lavelle scored her first rain goal just after halftime, crucial when the Red Stars got a second goal to produce the final margin. Uh, In addition to clinching a playoff berth, the rain moved all alone into second place with a game in hand on all three other teams in playoff position. They played that on Wednesday night, the rescheduled fixture against the Portland Thorns, and went down to Portland and earned a 1-1 draw against in the derby match against the rival thorns who have not beaten ol rain so far this season 
So now those teams have also played an identical number of games. The Rain won just one game point back in the standings Tacoma, of the Portland Thorns. Tacoma, a little bit closer to being a Derby match than Seattle. <laughs> that is true. That is technically true, isn't it? It's like 30, 30 miles closer. Uh, Rain, in England, there's like 15 teams in the same city. That's yeah, what a Derby match is. We wouldn't, we wouldn't looked at the map of teams in London the other day. And yes. You call a Derby match within like 300 miles. I'm just saying, anytime you play the Thorns... It's a Derby match. It, it, could be, it could be a rivalry Tigers. without being a Derby match. Nope. Okay. Fair nope. enough. Nope. I guess there's some things I don't understand. It's just a different standard when you don't have that many teams around you. But the, you can have different words for these things. And in your parlance, words matter. Oh, well, really yeah. hoisted on my own petard there. <laughs> uh, God, whenever you get mad and yell, words matter, <laughs> you know it's a bad day. Read back home Saturday to face the Washington Spirit, who are currently in fifth place, but seventh in points. It, it is match. interesting. I mean, looking at both the Sounders and the Rain, I think you have to say that the Sounders are going into the playoffs as prohibitive favorites in the Western Conference. But maybe MLS overall, considering the way that they've played in the second half of the season. No, I mean, New England Revolution have been so dominant this season. I think they're still the favorites. Bring it on. I mean, like we've had, obviously the Seattle New England Super Bowl. There's been there's been pretty close to some Seattle New England MLS Cup matches, and it hasn't worked out because every time Toronto wins. So we'll see what happens. Is Toronto in the playoffs? No, no, Toronto is very uh, bad Toronto now. Has so they're, they're out of is it. Is Montreal in the playoffs? I don't know for accurate that. pronunciations. <laughs> Les uh, expose. <laughs> That's what you learned in French class. <laughs> that would that would they taught you. Uh, New England currently eighteen points clear of Nashville for the top spot in Nashville? the conference. Yeah. Wow. Montreal currently holding the seventh and final playoff spot in the East. So that dream is alive uh, ever so slightly. Yeah, well, we, we go back to Rondell White in the <laughs> season of record. If we can't if we can't go back to Joe Carter. We'll see what happens. I, I think you have to go into this playoffs. For both teams, very confident, though. O.L. Reign started out struggling at the beginning of the season. and then But it was, some, it was literally a different roster. Exactly. Point. Getting some transplants from France. Getting Megan Rapinoe back. Getting Rose Lavelle back. Like, uh, and they've been getting, getting Rose Lavelle at all since she'd never played for the team previously. Uh, yeah, and Rapinoe hasn't even necessarily been a big part of this streak. She missed an extended period of time due to injury. I believe made her return earlier this evening she she was not on the injury report so uh yeah and she had the uh the penalty to get uh, to serve as the equalizer in this one so continues scoring from the spot has any team has any city ever won both the mls and nwsl in the same season off the top of your head <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean it's plausible that portland could have done it the year that the uh, timbers won mls <sighs> cup they would be the most reasonable possibility kansas city beat Won a couple of these, beat Seattle in a final that I attended. In the NWSL? Yeah. Ugh. And so I don't think Sporting KC was, was that good at that point. So I'll have to look that up for the next pod. That, <laughs> now that's a trivia question. There we go. All right, UW basketball. Wow, there's UW basketball news? I know. God. Sadly. It's on the rundown. Sadly. Back 12 basketball media days were this week. You know, women picked tied for 10th by the coaches, and the men were picked 11th in the now, conference. Tell me, uh, 
if you haven't been keeping up on this, is Mike Hopkins still the coach of this team? He is still the coach of this team. Wow. That's incredible. Uh, who are some players on the UW men's basketball team? Deshaun Davis is okay. a player on the, on the All team. All right. All right. It's pretty much everyone who is from the Seattle area and went elsewhere to start their college. They're back now. Okay. Uh, what about the, the dude who plays for Wazoo? No, no, no. No, Williams is not back, uh-huh. sadly. He uh, is part of a Wazoo team that is, is much more uh, in much better shape. I thought they extended their playing. coach. They did. I thought that was kind of bold. I mean, Kyle Smith's been very successful. I, I think Kyle Smith is a very good coach, but it was a little bit like like the Mariners like extending Scott's service because of fun differential. I don't know if I would say that. So like, P.J. Fuller also transferred back, you'll recall, when he played for uh, Brandon Roy. At, uh, he p- went to Nevada for his high school, but he played at TCU the last uh, couple seasons. It's where okay. he went out of high school. Uh, Emmett Matthews was at West Virginia. He's from Tacoma. This is, this is another UW basketball year where you're going to have to learn every single player within the first like two weeks of the season. Oh, yeah. That's I mean, just what college basketball transfers. is. Yeah. Yes, that is what college basketball is. Terrell Brown, who was at Arizona after starting out his career at Seattle <laughs> U. He's another Garfield product. You're just naming all new players. I mean... Pretty much. There, there, so there are some returning players. Nate Roberts is returning. Jamal Bay is returning. Uh, Cole Bajama. Enlist. <laughs> and Riley Sword. Oh, my God. That's it as far as the scholarship returning <laughs> players. They also added so one freshman, Jackson Grant from Olympia. He's, a, a, I think, a four-star recruit generally in the front court. Add some size. Uh, also, Dominic Penn technically returns, but he didn't see any action after joining the team mid-year last year uh, and reclassifying. So, so and then uh, JC transferred Langston Wilson is, right. is also someone who's going to see a lot of playing time, I think. And is this the makeup of most teams around the Pac-12, or is this just a specific UW thing? I think it was more extreme at UW this offseason in terms I mean, of the number of transfers, but everybody, but basically every contributor from last year is gone. Jamal May and Nate Roberts are the two who contributed. Sahonis? Transferred. I don't know. They're all Fresno State. (laughs) They all went and joined Jake Hayter. There's one place. They're either playing at Montana or Fresno State. It's been a minute. Two of the UW women's basketball starters transferred to Colorado together, which was an interesting one. Oh, interesting. I guess they could do the Puka Nakua route and go to BYU. But... Knowing that this Sohonis is... is at VCU. Oh, wow. I like it. Who is the other person who contributed that we were kind of like surprised by? Perimeter player? Claude Green. No. He graduated, right? He did graduate, yes. There's somebody else. I think he might have had like braids. Uh, I don't know about this one. Who was it? We were like kind of excited about him as a young player. I think you're thinking of Sonus when he when he <laughs> didn't have his hair picked no, up. No, there was one other player. Anyway, <laughs> uh, other players from last year's team who did transfer: Eric Stevenson, Raekwon Battle, Hamir Wright, Jerron Brooks. Hmm. None of those. Nate Pryor. No. Is that who you're thinking? No, none of them. I I don't know. That's it. Okay. That's end of list. But do we feel like there's a chance that, given the amount of talent coming in? an experience coming in that UW could be a better team than they were last year. Yes. I mean, I think they should be a more competitive team, certainly. But again, coaches looked at it and still picked them 11th in the conference. That doesn't matter. So 
It, it's fresh. Like, they, they have a brand new team for all intents and purposes. Like, of course you're going to pick them 11th. I suppose, but everyone else has a brand new team, too. God. Uh, starting from a higher point, I guess I, th- I would I say. I think college basketball might have a problem. <laughs> like, th- this might be a bigger issue than even they realize. And oh, I, I think they realize it. Like, I think the sport in general is in real danger. If the teams are going to change over every single season, I think that is a very, very bad sign for the sport. The names on the front of the jersey will still be there. So, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. But is this is happening everywhere, right? This isn't just a UW thing. This isn't just a Pac-12 thing. This is happening in the ACC, in the Big Ten, etc., right? Yeah, I mean, like... It used to be that a team like Gonzaga or Oregon was unusual the degree to which they relied on transfers. Now that is the norm. And those teams are probably more consistent year to year than, right? Gonzaga would be more consistent year to year than somebody like a typical Pac-12 team, right? Yeah, I mean, they're always extremely good. So yeah, they're very <laughs> consistent year to year. Uh, I know what to tell you. Uh, as we've discussed previously, they have the number one recruit in Chet Holmgren. So uh uh, definitely considered. Again, I watched that guy play one game for one half, and he fucking sucks. <laughs> Dog, I'm telling you, Chet Holmgren, <clears throat> most overrated player I've ever seen in my entire life. They also bring back, of course, Drew Timmy, Andrew Nemhard, oh so a couple God. of key contributors to last year's team. Anton Watson, who they had, had started at times. They had one good player on last year's team. I, I don't think that that is accurate. I don't think that checks out. Drew Timmy is a very good college player. That is he. Okay. They also had five-star Seattle guard uh, Nolan Hickman. Okay. So. Good job, Hop. UW football <laughs> coming off a bye Saturday, hosting UCLA at five thirty. Is this this is going to be your your debut at Husky football? It is, this my, is confirmed. My my debutante ball. I have actually, you wouldn't believe this, been to a UW football game before this. <laughs> but not since 2019. Post-pandemic UW football. And I, I don't know if I got into this when we talked about the Seahawks. But no, I'll say now. No matter what, no matter what happens, Russell Wilson, Geno Smith, anybody else, the fact that we are there at a... I'm going to lump UW in with this, a professional football game at a sporting event with 50,000 people at it, UW-wise, 25,000 comfortably. Uh, but being, watching live football, watching live sports, whatever it is, the fact that we as a society have gotten back to that place and that we can go and do it and feel like we're doing it safely, I think is a really huge, it's a huge deal. And it's awesome. And I think that's the most important takeaway that I had, even from that Thursday night game against the Rams, where so much went wrong, right? We had the most devastating injury that we've seen in the last decade plus of Seahawks football. But we got to go and watch football in person. We didn't have to have one of these situations where you're looking at these highlights and there's an empty stadium, right? The, The team is trying to get hype from basically nothing. And I, I think you look at those highlights and they're really haunting. And it was the thing that was necessary for a full season. But also it's really impressive what both of these organizations are doing and demanding that people be vaxxed or have a negative te- test to enter the stadium for these games. And for me personally, it increases my degree of comfort going. 
And I think for everybody who is going to these games, it's an impressive thing that we've done as a society that every single person who's there, for the most part, that, that assuming uh, benevolence of everybody who is there, that, that they've done over this last year and going and going and getting vaccinated. And if that's not the case, I would hope that it's not. But if that's not the case, that they went and got a negative test beforehand and being able to participate in live sports is such a huge thing that we've done as a society. And for me, that was kind of, again, with everything that happened at that Seahawks game, that was still my biggest takeaway was we're here and we're watching professional football live. And that is an incredible thing. And I haven't gotten to do that. And we know that Husky stadium is the greatest setting in all of college football. Right. And I haven't gotten to be there in two plus years. And so being there, being back at Husky stadium in our beautiful seats in the last row of the East end zone. Right. Man, I haven't sat in there, sat there since 2019. It's supposed to be raining. Everything. Oh, it's not just supposed to be raining. Uh, we're talking rainstorm. Half an inch of rain is the forecast for there Saturday. It is. I heard it was a.m. showers, though. I thought it was actually supposed to clear up in the afternoon. I'll take a look when, when this loads here. No, no, p.m. showers. Although it's only down to a 0.2 inches now, so that's not so bad. You would say p.m. dawn. But <laughs> but being able to, to go there and see college football in that setting it's still an incredible thing that we're able to do it and we're able to do it safely after everything that everybody's been through. We bitch so much about these players and this team and the Seahawks. It doesn't fucking matter, right? Like win or lose, ultimately none of the shit matters. Winning the Super Bowl doesn't actually give you anything. I don't get anything. You don't get anything, right? You don't get a bonus if the Seahawks win the Super Bowl. We do, we do get more listens, I think. <laughs> Whatever. We also don't get anything if people listen to this podcast. Right? The sponsorship is set from Pagliacci. <laughs> I'm going to ask for renegotiated, ask for more pizza. <laughs> more pizza. But, but the reality is we don't the, – the thing that, that, that we're participating, is, participating in is having this opportunity to go to live sports, to develop relationships with these players, and to really go and support them and cheer them on and to boo Justin Herbert when he's on Oregon and then love him when he's on the Chargers. Mm-hmm. And – you can't, there's something special about going and seeing these players live, right? Throughout the Pac-12, the Huskies, other teams, going and seeing these, like seeing Dorian Thompson-Robinson, like that is an exciting thing to see their team play live versus seeing them play on TV or seeing them with an empty crowd. And for me, I'm excited to get back there. I've missed every Husky game this year and having this one weekend that's open and available to be able to go to the greatest setting in all of college football and watch sports in person is a special thing. Well, I hope this Saturday we're set adrift on memory of bliss. Is the Huskies wear their 1991 throwback jerseys in tribute to the 30th anniversary of the national championship team? Uh, <sighs> I don't know if they're going to be as good as the 91 team. It seems unlikely, but uh, may get also some fond memories back in the lineup. And Zion Tubola Fatui, who has returned to practice as of Monday, just at this point, it seems like uh, a question of his conditioning and ability to get up to game speed when wow. he makes his return to the lineup. Which Incredible would be how quickly he's made it back as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, Russell Wilson recovery water, right? He's not going on our. Uh, 
he is also someone who is needed because this pass rush has been, I think, one of, even though the defense has generally been very good, has not been probably what you hoped it would be coming into this season with a, you know, a group that still included uh, Ryan Bowman is a veteran and Savelle Smalls is a talented newcomer and Jeremiah Martin is a transfer. So, you know, ZTF may be able to lift that group to a different level and going to be necessary against a quality quarterback in Dorian Thompson Robinson, as you mentioned. So the UCLA Bruins are four and two, having started out with a big win over number 16 LSU at the Rose Bowl in week two. They lost 40 to 37 to Fresno State and our beloved Jake Hayner the following week. After winning their Pac-12 opener at Stanford, they lost 42 to 13 at home to a ranked Arizona team, well, a team that Arizona State team that is now ranked, bounced back last week with a 34-16 win at Arizona. UCLA ranks 38th in FPI. They're 22nd on offense, 72nd on defense, and 60th on special teams. Fourth-year starting quarterback DTR is averaging a career-high 8.8 yards per attempt. He's thrown just two interceptions in 140 pass attempts, exactly half his previous rate, and has run for four touchdowns. Uh, Ted and Greg Dulcich and wide receiver Kyle Phillips are DTR's two primary targets. They've combined for over 700 <clears throat> yards in eight of DTR's 11 touchdowns. UCLA boasts two strong running backs in Michigan transfer Zach Charbonnet and Duke transfer Britton Brown, both of whom have averaged at least six yards per carry, second and third respectively behind B.J. Baylor in Pac-12 rushing yards. On the other side, teams have not been able to run the ball at all against UCLA, which is allowing just 3.2 yards per carry and 73 yards per ground on the game on the ground, I should say. But part of the reason is why run against the Bruins when you can pass. Opponents are completing 62% of their passes for 7.89 yards per attempt, which ranks 11th of the Pac-12 schools. So, if you look at this, UCLA, a remarkable thing, First off, have you, I don't know if you've seen this. Do you know what the, the, the line on this game is? I have not seen the line. No, I saw the FBI win probability. I would guess it's UCLA. Huskies minus two. Improbably. <clears throat> I mean, they're basically saying that these teams are more or less even on a neutral field. Which is close to what FBI says. But then you dig a little closer at what I just said. UCLA is very good at running the ball. UW cannot run the ball. UCLA is very bad at defending the pass. You know, eh, pretty shaky in terms of the passing week to week. Now, maybe this is another situation like the first half against Cal where Dylan Morris or, or Sam Heward is uh, pushing the ball down the field to these receivers that have given, and Kate Otten will be, be presumably back in the lineup. So, you know, you've got him, you've got Jalen McMillan, you've got Roma Dunze, Ty- Terrell Bynum, uh, a deeper know. group of they, pass they, catchers. They yeah, may or may hypothetically, not. Yeah. have these players. They're players who are... Supposedly on the team, you'd hope you would be healthier coming out of the bye, but, but you not, just never know. Is not even necessarily the standard. You literally just do not know week to week. Like we'll see some tweets pregame, and that'll tell us who's playing. Right. Well, health is also an issue, but in, not just in terms of injury. Yes, and the bye doesn't necessarily help in terms of avoiding health and safety protocols. So you're saying you don't think this matchup is great for the Huskies? Because I think this is the worst possible matchup for the Huskies. Wow. Can I take the opposite position? Wow. This is the best possible matchup for the Huskies because their weakness is also, I I don't want to say your weakness because the Huskies can't run the ball. If the Huskies choose to pass the ball, praise the Lord. They are an awful running team. You do not want to see them running more 
What you unless they're running it out of the so Wildcat? You're, you're hoping that this is going to be the Buffalo against the Seahawks situation last year, where they're going to look at this and say, "All right, I guess we have to pass every single I, down." I'm just going to be be clear with you. At no point <laughs> have I ever compared John Donovan to Brian Dable. <laughs> ESPN's you, Kevin Pelton. Might have contrasted at them. No point in my entire life <laughs> have I ever on any continuum compared John Donovan, University of Washington offensive coordinator, former assistant running back coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Assistant to the running backs. <laughs> versus Brian Dable should be head coach in the NFL. Maybe Seahawks head coach next year. Fingers crossed. Uh, that, that, that would not exactly be a comparison that I would make. But if the Huskies choose to pass the ball more against a UCLA defense that is not very good at stopping the pass, that is a good thing. And any team that cannot stop the pass is a really huge... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tweet about it. Red, red flags can't oh, stop no. the pass. <laughs> a bunch of red flags. Right, like that is this is what the sport is. If you can't stop the pass, if if UW does not pass the ball against a team that is allowing seven point nine yards per attempt, eleventh in the Pac twelve, and sixty two percent completion percentage, the red flag is not the defense; it's the offensive coordinator. Who again, I am not comparing not pass, in they... any way to Brian Dable. <laughs> if they choose not to pass, or if they can't successfully pass, that's the red flag. Because I, I think if they can't successfully pass then the red flag might might in fact be Dylan Morris. How? Well, we'll see. You already gave up on Dylan Morris. I didn't give up on Dylan Morris. I'm just saying. You basically to send him to Fresno State next year. It is reasonable to consider making a change at quarterback, <sighs> you depending know, on what you've seen in practice. You know how good he's going to be at Fresno State next season. You are you the, literally the opposite. Uh, Last week on this podcast, the Pelton quotes just quoted it. I just I I know what I understand how Pac-12 football works. He's going to be phenomenal at Fresno State. Beat next UCLA season. two or three times. But how how surprised would you be if Sam Heward came out and started this game? I give it like a ten percent chance. That's all. Yeah. If you were going to make a change at quarterback, I I agree. That's this, why I made the case last week. This would have been the week to do it. Yes. And most importantly. We won't know anything about it. That's that's very true. I mean, it won't be until he comes out and takes the snap. We'll see some tweets beforehand. It'll yeah. say Sam Heward taking first team snaps pregame. Yeah. <clears throat> Mike Farrell or whatever. Yeah. Uh, Christian the, Cable. The, uh, on the flip side of that spectrum, where the Huskies have been successful defensively is obviously in that secondary. And I think the front seven has been pretty weak this season. Maybe that's even an understatement. <clears throat> it's really tough to understand why they're so bad against the run. I I really like. I don't think that they have. They've got good Benson personnel. Mayo, in huh? First round pick LJ Collier. <laughs> I don't think they have good personnel. I mean, Edifon Ulufosio <clears throat> has been banged up. He's been out of the lineup at times, and at inside linebacker. But it seems like it's got to be something in terms of the scheme. You think? I mean, you could always blame the scheme. I. I, it's just it doesn't make sense to me that the personnel is this different. Defend, I mean, I guess it doesn't make sense. The scheme is that different. I don't. I don't know. It's tough D to understand why there's. DTR so is a terrifying quarterback, though, and I I think they will have a very hard time stopping him. So that to me is 
Will Huskies score points in this game? Probably, but they're going to give up a lot of points in this game. Yeah, I mean, they're going to need to score. That was also part of the logic. Is this is not a week that you can play in, like, the goal is let's win 17-14 against yeah, UCLA. Yeah, no, you're going to have to tuck away that run the damn ball hat. <laughs> it's not the week for that. Yeah. Unless it rains really hard. <laughs> if it rains so hard that you have to run the ball and you get you get your wish that, that everybody has to run the ball, that's going to benefit UCLA because they have the best running quarterback in the Pac-12. I, I still... I hate being optimistic. <laughs> and I, I can't get to where FPI is at, but I think the Huskies have a 52% chance of winning this game. I think 40%. Wow. Yeah. You've been there. See, you've been under the lights. You're, oh. you're not as impressed with the I've, idea of going to Husky Stadium. I've seen the darkness. Yeah. It was gorgeous in the stadium that day. <laughs> wasn't so much fun. I'm freaking ready for a 5.30 p.m. just shitty Saturday night, though. You know what I mean? Like that's kind of what that's what Husky Stadium is all about. The the first few weeks you don't get to have your Montana game or whatever, right? Like what Husky Stadium is is it's it's nasty, you know? Not Husky Stadium, it's beautiful, but it is the, the weather. The nasty weather. It's Saturday night, right? It's playing under the lights. It is grinding out a victory in that way. We'll see. I don't know. In 1991, they didn't play a lot of night games. <clears throat> the se- that's the season of record for college football is 1991. Maybe 2000, though. Uh, Jake Hayner update. Uh, Fresno State also had a bye last week, so there's okay. no update. Did not throw any interceptions last week. Let's go to the Seahawks, who uh, continue to make news this week, releasing cornerback <clears throat> Trey Flowers. It was originally reported as at his request, but Pete Carroll then denied that on Wednesday to the media, saying, quote, it was time for a change. Uh, that decision comes in tandem with rookie Trey Brown's return to practice after stint on IR. He's a full go, according to Pete. And, of course, the Seahawks can only have one cornerback named Trey playing left cornerback at any given time. Otherwise, it gets very confusing. Yeah. I mean, RIP to the <laughs> Trey Flowers era. I think Trey Flowers was somebody who surprised a lot of us early on in his career never really developed. I don't know if we can specifically blame Trey Flowers for that or whatever. I think he was put into a pretty questionable scheme. and It'll be interesting to see him in another system. He's probably going to play badly. Uh, probably. There, there haven't been... I don't know, even when the system was good, players didn't play well outside of the Seahawks system. There's basically no Well, it's history. not like Richard, well, Richard Sherman... Uh, did play quite well outside the Seahawks game, but it's not like you those have guys... one season of Richard Sherman, and you got a lot of seasons of Byron Maxwell, Brandon Brown. But that's the point: is Akella Witherspoon literally not even playing for the Steelers? The rest of the Legion of Antoine Boom, Winfield retiring. The like... rest of the Legion of Boom was making those other cornerbacks look pretty good. So I guess Ugo Amadi did go to Detroit and was not very effective. I literally, apparently. aside from one season from Sherman in San Francisco, look. Uh... It's been a while since he's played football, but in Tampa Bay, Sherman's not quite looking like. But I think we've seen what a lot of these cornerbacks might have looked like if they didn't have Richard Sherman and Earl Thomas around them. And Cam Chancellor. And Cam Chancellor. And a pass rush led by Michael Bennett and Cliff Averill. Yeah, I mean, literally the Seahawks for a period of time had the perfect defense. And you don't always have the perfect defense. And that that's the issue with this with this defense is that 
if it is subperfect, it's bad. Pretty much. So an interesting matchup coming up this Sunday on Sunday Night Football against the Pittsburgh Steelers, who have started 2-3 and three this season. They're 21st in DVOA, and uh, much of the criticism during their 1-3 and three start inevitably went to Ben Roethlisberger, who is 27th in the EPA plus completion percentage over expected composite, right in between two quarterbacks we talk about a lot on this podcast, Jared Goff and Davis Mills. Davis Mills. What a performance on Sunday. I'm actually a little surprised that Jared Goff is that low because the Lions have low-key been not that bad. They are also the only winless team in the NFC, I think, at 0-5. But they've been a good winless. They have been a very—they've lost two games on game-winning field goals by the opposition. One of those, a 60-plus yarder by Justin Tucker, the longest in NFL history. Uh, That is also the same spot Roethlisberger finished in that same composite last year. And the the arm strength is not there. His 7.1 intended air yards per pass ranked 25th in the league, according to Pro Football References tracking data, was at 7.8 back in 2018 before dropping to 6.9 last season after missing most of 2019 with the injury that he suffered in Week 2 against the Seahawks. Roethlisberger relying on the short stuff, short stuff worked reasonably well through the first nine games as the Steelers started 2020-10-0. He had 22 touchdowns to four interceptions and averaged 6.8 yards per attempt through those first nine games over the next six before not playing in the season finale. That dropped to 5.6 yards per attempt with six interceptions and just 11 touchdowns as the Steelers went 3-3 three and three in that span. And Roethlisberger's first four games of the season looked a lot like that as he averaged 6.1 yards per attempt with four interceptions. But then... He had 10.1 yards per attempt Sunday in their 27-19 win over a highly rated Denver Broncos pass defense. I think the Broncos actually, their defense has been awful this year. Has it? At least fantasy-wise, it's been one of the worst defenses. I'll have to look this up on on DVOA. I did not do that previously. I, I think that it is a worse performance than you would think it is. Especially given that they are 10th in defensive DVOA. Wow, okay. We can break that down into uh, passing and rushing, and uh, they are 13th in pass DVOA. All right. Well, props to Ben Roethlisberger for figuring it out, I guess. Uh, they lost Juju Smith-Schuster on Sunday to a shoulder injury that required season-ending surgery. Without him, Chase Claypool got six targets, most of any player. Claypool has averaged nearly nine targets per game and was up to is up to 9.7 yards per target, in part thanks to a pair of 50-plus non-touchdown receptions, one of them a catch-and-run for 59 yards on Sunday. Deontay Johnson had just two targets on Sunday after 10-plus each of the first three games he played, but one of them was a 50-yard touchdown on the opening drive. He's generally been a bit more reliable than Claypool, but not as explosive, averaging 8.2 yards per target. Their leader in targets, in part because he's played all five games, is rookie running back first-round pick Najee Harris, averaging just 5.1 yards per target. As a runner, Harris has been meh. He's getting the heavy bulk of the workload with just 12 other combined carries for backup running backs Betty Snell Jr. and Kalen Balaj. Steelers 22nd in rush DVO, DVOA, three spots worse than they are in pass DVOA, though presumably they are facing a lot of heavy boxes because teams don't fear Roethlisberger beating them over the top at this point. I so, take that back on the Broncos' fantasy. They're fourth in fantasy. I don't know. Maybe you're thinking of a different team. 
Despite all the understandable focus on and criticism of Roethlisberger, the real reason the Steelers have started 2-3 and three is their drop from number one in defensive DVOA last year to number 19 this year, a Rams-esque decline. Uh, run defense largely in, unchanged, but their past DVOA has gone from first in the league to 24th. Ah, uh, Akella oh, Witherspoon. <laughs> Uh, they allowed just 6.6 yards per attempt last season, tied for fifth. That's up a full yard so far and ranks 18th. And their number one sack rate from 2020 is down nearly by half from 9.6% to 5.3%, ranking 21st. Don't blame TJ Watt, fresh off his extension, who has five sacks. But first-round pick Devin, Devin Bush Jr. is an inside linebacker, is the only other player with more than one sack. Defensive end Stephon Tuitt, who had 11 sacks last season, was lost to knee surgery during training camp. And outside linebacker Bud Dupree signed with the Titans after he had eight sacks in 11 games last season before an ACL tear. 2023 round pick Alex Highsmith has yet to record a sack is Dupree's replacement. Really hard to understand what to take from basically any of this. I mean, you talk about that game where the Huskies are playing UCLA. And understanding strength on weakness, this is question mark on question mark, <laughs> right? Like, uh, I, I mean, I feel like Geno Smith is a pretty big question mark compared to, but yes, this is Ben Roethlisberger. Like, I, there across the board in this game, I already gave you my. I'm going to elaborate on it, but I already gave you my Ben Roethlisberger take. You have a Ben Roth offense and defense, Steelers and the Seahawks. Question mark on question mark. Question mark on question mark. <laughs> Like, right, like you can't go into this game really expecting anything. I, I don't know if you would say to yourself that you have any degree of confidence in any part of either of the team's games. Special teams, solid advantage for the Seahawks. <laughs> I'm shocked. Despite the kicking, yes. The number one in EPA. Double kicks, two kicks, two months. <laughs> oh, yes. Definitely number one, number one right, on that. Ever, almost. Uh, number one in EPA on kickoffs this season. Great. They've, they've gained more EPA on kickoffs than they've lost on place kicks. Wow. I mean, they actually have been pinning teams fairly deep on that. Yeah. And if you're expecting Ben Roethlisberger to start at like the 16 and move the ball down the field, that's a pretty big expectation. Uh, I This is pro- maybe in the Russell Wilson era, the Geno Smith era, the biggest question mark of a game that this team has ever played that we can approach a game and r- truly not know. The defense could play well. The defense could give up 500 yards. I, Both of these I, things. I think, the, I think one of those is a lot more likely than the other. I, I really don't know, though, because of you look at the Steelers and the Steelers' offense. Ben Roethlisberger could play well. Ben Roethlisberger could not be able to get the ball 10 yards down the field. Right? Like, everything was is within the realm of possibilities here. We're in a brand new territory. When it comes to this particular game and I mean, what we understand about each of these teams. So we talked about that in the entire Pelton cast era, Russell Wilson has started every meaningful game for the Seahawks. I think they occurred to me earlier today. You Of your 10 to 15 children, none of them has been alive at a time where Russell Wilson has not started a regular season or playoff game for the Seahawks. Uh, baby baby yeah, Fantasy true. Genius was born was a month born. after yeah. Russell Wilson was drafted by the Seahawks. Wow, real loss of youth type situation for him when he <laughs> watches the game on Sunday. God. Uh, fortunately, he's he already, already is concerned yeah, about say. time passing and getting older now that he's nine years old. <laughs> Are you making my fucking child watch Geno Smith start a game? I'm not making him. Somehow I blame you. <laughs> you always do. Uh, it, 
it's it's really uncharted territory though i i think again ever the optimist think the Seahawks defense can do some things against the Steelers. So can he give you a take here? I would love to have a take here. I'd like you to think about the type of quarterbacks that always do well against the Seahawks. It's old, seemingly washed up quarterbacks. Now, usually they're backups that come in. And I think <laughs> Just that, say Josh McCown, okay? Josh McCown is on the list, but it's not just him. It's Matt Schaub is on the list as well. Ah, he's terrifying. These quarterbacks... Even down from the booth or whatever, right? You give me both the Manning brothers from the booth, wow. Phil Rivers, any of them. I mean, weirdly, Peyton is, was the one that they were able to stop after he had the greatest offensive season of all time. Oh, that was that was a, a different Seahawks team. That was a very different Seahawks team. These quarterbacks are able to... They may not have the physical tools against the Seahawks defense, but they have seen so many different defenses over the course of the career, their career, that they know how to manipulate a defense. They can basically Sean McVay the Seahawks offense by themselves. I, I don't bl- I don't agree with this take. I love a take, but I don't agree with this. <laughs> I respect the take. I think that the quarterbacks who do very well against the Seahawks have seen the defense a lot of times and are very comfortable playing against it. And I don't know if Roethlisberger is in that. I don't know. McCown hadn't seen it that many times. And Schaub was in the AFC most of that time. He played against the Seahawks once in 2013. I don't know. He threw that brutal pick six against Sherm. There, there's just certain... certain. I, I'm crediting this to the coaching staffs a little bit more than I am to the actual quarterbacks. There's certain coaching staff. Oh, because the Philadelphia coaching staff has so much success with other quarterbacks against the Seahawks. I mean, honestly, Metro was more successful also against than Matt Ryan. Well, Matt Ryan in, in 2017. But the last couple of times Matt Ryan has faced the Seahawks have not gone well. I just, you need to also be able to, the defense is very good for about 10 yards. And it's like the 15 to 20 yard territory that they're really bad. Yeah, I mean, this is the Roethlis fair counterpoint. He does not have the arm strength to get that ball down the field. We're talking Garoppolo-type situation, right? This Who's could, been very bad against the Seahawks. Yeah, yes. This could be a Jimmy... This could be a, a Jimmy. It could be a Jamal Adams game. If they're not scared at all of getting beat over the top, and they're just willing to let Jamal Adams play near the line of scrimmage and wreak havoc and actually do the things that made him made them trade two first-round picks for him, I don't then possibly he could the be effective. They traded two, two first-round picks for him, but okay. I think certainly his ability to make plays in the box was that, not his ability to play deep safety against the Deshaun Jackson. I think this could be a DJ Reed game, though. Maybe, for God's sakes, they would play Ryan Neal, who is one of the best players in the defense and has not made the field aside from one game. I mean, I don't think that's going to be the situation because they like using him against bigger personnel, and that, that isn't really what Pittsburgh does. But that sort of like... 15, 20 yard range, that's where they really struggle. When Jordan Brooks is in coverage, that is bad news. And I'm not sure if that's what the Steelers can do in this game. I mean, that, that I think is the question mark. Now, Ben, despite his lack of arm strength, has hit a couple of deep passes at times, including the, that touchdown to Deontay Johnson last week. And then Steelers fans love to post those on social media and at me at times. Uh huh. We'll see. I don't think there's that big of a difference between Geno Smith and Ben Roethlisberger, though. Oh, man. I'm looking at the Seahawks uh, 
by deep and short passes in DVOA. They're 22nd against deep passes and 31st in the league against short passes. Now, obviously, they have a worse overall DVOA against deep passes because deep passes are just generally more effective. The 31st But relative short to passes. the league, the only, well, part of that is probably... Because they give up screens. It's a, it's a little thing called screens. 35 yes. yards only, on every screen to any tight end. Only Urban Myers, Jacksonville Jaguars have been worse against short passes <sighs> than your Seattle Seahawks. They're bad against everything. But, but... I think Ben Roethlisberger is the type of quarterback that they can feel good about themselves playing against. And no matter what, I, I think this game is going to be more of a defensive battle than we're anticipating. I mean, I hope so. Now, I, we haven't looked at what the weather is going to be like in Pittsburgh, how cold it is going to be. And we don't know how Geno Smith plays in weather. It's true. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Maybe he's great in the cold. He's never played in a sunny place before, that right? West Virginia experience coming through. Right, we've got the Jets, the Giants, and then the Seahawks. He's played in in the North basically. He's a Yank. <laughs> He's played only in the North his entire life. I'm not sure where West Virginia uh, teetered right there, right in the middle. I but I feel like weather wise, they're they're more northern, especially if you're playing in no- November and December. Okay, it's also very reasonably close to Pittsburgh, right? <laughs> West, oh, I think it's very close. Yeah, what what city? God, Morgantown. Morgantown. There we go. Uh. I like Geno Smith in this game. Uh, 61 degrees is a high, 46 is a low, partly cloudy, no precipitation in the That's forecast. So. Geno Smith weather. That's what he was used to from Morgan. I mean, obviously, it's going to chill down. It's going to be 56 by kickoff. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful weather. Crisp night, similar probably to the Thursday night football weather last week. Oh, God. Geno's going to be comfortable, confident. And we, we've got a new Geno Smith. We have no reason to expect that Geno Smith is going to do anything less than he did in those three drives that he had on Thursday night against the Rams defense. Lead them to an average of 3.3 points per drive. I think that would be that would be best in the NFL, I assume. Absolutely, it will be. Uh, <laughs> and uh, there's, you said that the Steelers had a Rams-like fall defensively. And yes. I, I just I can't help but going into this game curious, I guess, is the first word to say, but also kind of confident. Which is interesting because you know who is not confident? Who is that? The gambling public. Well, I mean, it's Geno Smith. I get it. They haven't come around yet. The Seahawks are now five-point underdogs in this game. We'll see. I got to say, I kind of share your optimism for this one. There we go! I mean, I'm not you sure. said I'm this not was going to be a one and two time without Russell Wilson, provided he only misses three games, which is a big provided. Uh, is this the one? You think they're losing to Urban Myers, Jacksonville Jaguars? No, I think this is the point less than point five. Okay. I'm giving them a 45 percent chance. Of oh, that's my optimism. You share my optimism, but you're only getting a 45 percent because this is a confident. 58% of victory. 58? Wow. I'm telling you. You I, should you should gamble at this game if you actually think they're 58% favorites. I will. <laughs> I can't, but I will. I mean, you can. you got to go up to a... Uh, uh, is it Snoqualmie that has built out the... Uh, They've got sports the, gambling going on? One of them just recently opened. I, is that I legal? Snoqualmie. It is now. In Washington State? It, it, I mean, I don't think that they're doing it like... You know, the, the government's just looking the other way. It seems seems to be on the up and up. If I was Randy and I was in Las Vegas for the Pac-12 championship 
and this game was happening, I would absolutely throw down money on the Seahawks covering a five-point spread. That is a conversation that happened online, not during the recording portion of our podcast. Yes. Yes, Snoqualmie uh, opened a sports book. So there you go. Well, uh, has there been anything new on Russell Wilson? Still pretty much the same. Seems pretty much the same. So they haven't placed him on IRs yet which allows him to participate in practice How, using only his left hand. Were they to place him on IR, does that change anything with regards to when he could return? No. I mean, it changes something with... Yes, it changes something when he could return. It's only relevant if he's going to return prior to the bye. Okay, so it, it basically doesn't matter. Like, yes. the, he has basically zero chance of returning prior to the bye. This game, can, looking at the schedule, every game is the most important game that the Seahawks play. If they lose this one, it puts a lot of pressure on that Saints game. I agree. And it it's a very big game for the Seahawks. And I think everybody understands that the talent around Geno Smith is very good. These are not Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, Will Disley, are not Russell Gerald Wilson. Gerald Everett back in the lineup this week. They're not Russell Wilson-dependent talents. I mean, I, I appreciated this point from... Third Pelton brother Mike Dugar on Twitter uh, that Geno Smith just basically trusted and hey throw it to DK and ma- let him make something happen in a way that Russell Wilson sometimes doesn't frankly yeah so they they are great wide receivers players in the open field irrelevant of Russell Wilson and we'll see if he if he can get it to them if they can make a few plays. I think this defense will play better than they've played most of the season. And it again, it'll be fascinating to watch either way. It is question mark on question mark on question mark on question mark. So we'll see. Sunday night football, baby. Question mark on question mark on question mark on question mark. I've been the waiting. fabulous Pelton cast. I've been, I've been waiting all day for Sunday night. On, Geno Smith versus Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, I think it is going to be an entertaining game. You know, the whole, like, uh, Ben Ben tweeted about, like, the Seahawks being, losing Russell Wilson right, before, right as they were on national TV three weeks in a row. Look, they made it interesting at the end of that Rams game until the final drive. But uh, I, I think they can again. So, on that note. Thanks for listening. Thanks.